Heavenly Father, it is so good to come into your presence thinking of the price that was paid, that that barrier, the veil could be ripped from the top to the bottom on this day, and that we could come into your living presence. Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your only begotten Son to die for us. We do pray that everyone would avail themselves, would not waste and squander the precious blood that was shed. That none of us would take lightly that God entered time and space and took our place on that cross. Speak to us this morning, we pray, through your living word. In spite of your servant, Lord, through your spirit, touch our hearts, refresh our memory and our appreciation that we would indeed remember our Lord and Savior, and we would live inspired by what he has done. Father, you know those who are carrying their own cross this morning, those who are alone, those who are struggling with illness, those who are struggling with burdens that overwhelm them. Father, you know their hearts, and Lord, for those tears you died. Lord, we pray that you would grant them strength, that they could open their hearts to you, and that they would experience your promised presence and strength and grace, even as they walk through that valley. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn together to uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Luke, chapter 23. We can begin reading from verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people. But and behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. 
And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. But as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps that never gave suck. And they shall begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there are also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. The rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying if thou be the Christ save thyself and us but the other answering rebuked him saying dost not thou fear God seeing thou art in the same condemnation and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds but this man hath done nothing wrong amiss and he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened. And the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things that were done, smote their breasts and returned. In all his acquaintance, and the woman that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. 
And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor, and he was a good man and a just. The same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was a preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. And the woman also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. I've read the end of the chapter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Lord, it's worthy that we bow before him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, it is good to come to thy house, to gather around thy word, to bring praise and worship to thee. For thou hast done a great thing through thy Son in reconciling man unto thyself. And this reconciliation, Father, thou hast declared to us in thy word. It has been preserved that man today, almost 2,000 years after this event, can still claim the promise of forgiveness of sins, of a right relationship with thee, and of eternal life, the gift of eternal life that all of us desire. Father in heaven, we pray as Thou hast been merciful once more in giving us a day that we can gather freely without concern of persecution or harassment from this world. We've been privileged, Lord, that time is still given, that man may consider his condition and consider the words that thou hast left behind in printed word for us to understand thy mind. We pray, Father, that as thy word goes out this morning, as it already has in the reading of it, we pray, Father, that those in our midst that have not yet made a choice, who are still considering their path in this life, and perhaps the noise of the mixed signals of the worldly wisdom that comes to us in different frequencies and in different phases. Father in heaven, we pray that as thou art the one that can cut through all these things, we pray that thy word and thy spirit would speak to us today, this morning. We specially pray, Father, for those who are drawing closer to thee to find assurance of all thy promises. Promises that thou will never leave us or forsake us promises that thou will walk beside us through all these difficult times, through valleys, through pain, through suffering that all men are subject to. Promises, Father, that thou art there to lift us up and to give us the spiritual vision to see what is coming, the promises of thy return through thy Son and the glory to come to those who believed. We pray, Father, that for those who have come this morning, 
to feel thy nearness that thou would reveal thyself and in thy spirit bring that assurance to heart and mind. And we pray, Father, for those in this world who are looking. We pray, Father, that as children of thine, that we would be the light, that we would be the reflection of thy Son, whom thou art trying to recreate in us daily, so that men who are still seeking, groping in the darkness, may actually see thee in us and may hear thy truth in our walk of way, our walk of faith and in the way we live. Father in heaven, we pray that as the time draws near for thy return, for thy son's return, Lord, we pray that we may be more diligent when we put focus on our lives, the way we live, and the urgency, Father, to share the truth with our fellow man. We ask thee now, Father, as we pray for the purpose of our gathering, that thy word would be an inspiration to us and uplift all of us. We pray for our brother, thy servant, that thou would give him thy words, that thou would put in his mind and his thoughts thy message, for thou knowest the needs that are present. And we pray, Father, that thy word as it is proclaimed, not from this pulpit only, but from all those places where man gather in truth and in spirit out of love and adoration, out of fear and respect for who thou art, that that word that is proclaimed today across the face of this, this world, Lord, may reach man and may fulfill its purpose. We are thankful, Lord, for already we have been encouraged by thy word. We've already been encouraged through the songs we've sang. We know that our gathering already has not been in vain, and we have already been uplifted. And what we believe that will do beyond our our imagination and expectation. And so, Father, with this, we thank thee and commit all things through this prayer and this service. In Jesus' name, amen. read together this morning a sobering account. Seems the highest injustice. One who was innocent, clearly recognized as such by the authorities who were striving to, to rescue him. His strategy as clear in other places, he, he basically beat Jesus with an inch of his life, hoping through that, that to satisfy the clear jealousy and rage of the mob, their bloodlust would be satisfied and that he could save his life. He had him scourged with a, with a, a whip that had bone and, and metal on the tips that basically flayed his skin off, laid bare, not only his back, but in cases even organs and vertebrae. But that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. We he see here how three times Pilate pleaded, I'm going to scourge him, let him go. But the crowd said, no. No, we, we, we crucify him. Let 
Let this robber, this person who had started an insurrection and murdered people in the process, let him go. But Jesus, he should be crucified. Think about it. From the point of view of Mary. Imagine her following Jesus on that Via Dolorosa. It wasn't the most direct way to the cross. It was a bit of roundabout. It went through the center of town. It kind of gathered a jeering mob along the way so that to intensify the shame. Crucifixion was, was not a direct way, way to death either. There's <clears throat> poisoning by hemlock and other more quick and efficient, the stroke of a sword, but the idea was to maximize the pain, to maximize the shame. And as she followed him, maybe the same streets that just a week earlier had been lined with palms, where people were crying out, Hosanna! Blessed be the Son, one who comes in the name of the Lord. They were calling him King and Savior and Christ and Messiah. He was the hope. In the very place where they were playing down psalms, they, they, they had all this pent-up joy, all this pent-up, finally, God is providing his salvation. He's providing the one who's going to liberate us. And those who'd been following for years, who'd seen the miracles, who had, who had heard the words that they knew deep down inside, this is the truth. This changes everything. And, and now they, they let loose in a great cry of joy that Jesus said, if, if they were to be quiet, the rocks would even cry out. And now where those palms lay, the blood of Jesus was covering those same stones. As he's stumbling, carrying the, the cross beam, over 100 pounds weight, and, but for him, week in, and his, his um, state, perhaps even on bare bones, who knows? He couldn't carry it any longer. We read here that they had to grab another man from the country and force him to carry that cross. And Mary is seeing, seeing him totter under the weight of that cross. She had seen him toddle as, as a little boy, taking those foot, first footsteps, and now he's, he's also unsteady on his feet for a very different reason. The promises the promises that she had received that, that this, she was blessed among all women, above all women. She wasn't feeling blessed right then. This was the, the worst nightmare of a woman, a mother to see their son. It's horrible pain, agony, and disrespect and shame. You couldn't get worse. Where were those promises that this is going to be the son of David, of his, 
kingdom, there would be no end, all these promises that she had received. And you would think, you know, we studied together at Christmas that, you know, if, if God you know, put her through the, the shame of, uh, of, of this, this birth, that, but at least he would work out the details of an uncomplicated pregnancy and of the birth and of a life, that this was God's plan. And if it's God's plan, then we expect things to, to work out smoothly and to work out evidence that God is... They, don't we see God's evidence when things work out just right? What was she thinking as she's following the, the promised one through that jeering mob and bloody foot, bloody stones to the top of that hill. What do we think? What do we think when we live in a fallen world? What do we think when there is a lot of pain and, and we say, God, where are you? How can you allow the one that I love to suffer? How can you take this person away from me? How can you leave me alone? How can you allow these circumstances where it looks like failure, it looks like Everything, there's no hope for me financially, academically, relationally, whatever. There's no hope medically. There's no hope for all my dreams and aspirations. How can you allow, if you're a God of love, how can you allow this type of tragedy to enter my life? Perhaps you with Mary ask those same questions. But God did not stay removed from a fallen world. He is not Allah up on his throne just waiting to judge you at the end of days. Christianity is different. It's falsifiable. It's not just a vision that no one can corroborate and that contradicts itself. God entered time and space in a way that is historically verifiable. These accounts that we're reading of his death are some of the most historically verifiable things possible. There are more manuscripts, more evidence that Jesus died is incontrovertible. And that he rose is also one of the most historically verifiable things we'll discuss on Sunday. Jesus did not, God did not remain remote from our pain. 
Sometimes we don't understand our pain. Mary may not have understood. Jesus had explained, he had said, I am going to Jerusalem. I will be delivered to the chief priests. I will die. And after three days, I will raise again. But were they listening? That didn't fit. Sometimes we have this filter that when the Bible says, follow me and take up your cross and, and deny yourself and, and you will be, uh, that, that we, we, we filter that out. But the promises, we see them. There was a hope, but Mary, the disciples, were they seeing it? Sometimes you, you take your, your child to get a shot, and maybe they're three years old. They, they don't understand. They understand enough that this is going to hurt, and they don't want to be hurt, and they are resisting the pain, but explaining how this might prevent measles uh, you know, it just it doesn't register. It doesn't make sense to them. But you can explain that you also. And you, you can show them where your little bump of your, and that, that you have been through that, and that that's something that they can relate to much better that might bring comfort, whereas a medical explanation will not. And here we have God understanding our pain, understanding our disappointments, understanding our suffering, taking it on Him. And in this fallen world, Jesus wasn't coming just to understand. It wasn't just so that you have the very real comfort that you can approach that throne that we read about that veil being ripped and that you can now approach a high priest who, who's been through everything you have, who's suffered everything you have. He came to overcome it. It wasn't just emotional support. It was taking it on himself in order to overcome. That we can have a hope. That though the suffering may be unavoidable, that as, as nature itself groans, waiting for Jesus to come back and to restore his original order of creation. And as we groan, as we also go through sickness and illness and broken relationships and broken dreams, that he is going to come to, that, that he has come not only to empathize, but to over, overcome and to make that blessed and possible. A couple months ago, I was, 
I sent uh, something to, to Kezia and I noticed that she had sent me something a year ago. I hadn't, hadn't missed it. It was in my WhatsApp and I just must have missed the notification. And uh, it, was, it was a video and I started to play it and I'm thinking, who, who is this? It sounds like Kezia's voice and it's the story of um, it's Friday, Sundays are coming. And then I realized as we got to the end, there was a conclusion there that I wasn't familiar with because it wasn't in the original. And as it got to, to the very end, there was a picture of who it really was, who was narrating and actually playing the harp to back up the music. It was, it was Kara, Kara Freeman. Because at the end, there was a picture of her doing this. It was her laying on her back because that's the only place she could breathe and not be in, uh, in, in, in her dystonia, the, the fits. And there she is with oxygen to her trachea, everything rigid, IVs in her arm, holding this harp above her because that's the only way she was going to be able to play it with the little uh, movable stand where she could maybe do something and type something up because she actually put this, this presentation together. But just seeing her, now that's a picture. That's a picture to me of a Friday. Because we know that our dear sister Cara has gone through a lot to, as an understatement. And uh, so I, I, I went to look this morning for the words. I looked through my email and there was 2015. She had just gone through, I think it was even some sort of a coma. And she came out of it and she said, she had heard her mother reading the It's Friday, Sunday's a Coming poem, and, and she's Sunday, where's the, the Sunday part of it? And she was very disappointed to, to hear that the poem actually ended still on Friday and didn't get to Sunday. And so she decided she was going to add a few verses to get us to Sunday and beyond. And if you would indulge me, I'd like to, to read the poem. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's asleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarlet. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood dripping, his body stumbling, and his spirits burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. 
It's Friday, the world's winning, people are sinning, and evil's grinning. It's Friday, the soldiers nail my Savior's hand to the cross, they nail my Savior's feet to the cross, then they raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday, but let me tell you something Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know. It's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin is conquered and Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday, Jesus is buried, a soldier stands guard and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday, it is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. This was written by Reverend Lockridge a hundred years ago. It might describe some of the things you're going through. It certainly describes a fallen world and as we read the events and even the mood, even the dystopian novels and movies and and, and sentiments that people recognize there's something wrong. We can't trust government and our own technology and our own efforts to save us. There seems to be a despair prevalent. But that's Friday. And do people know Do you know? Do you know within your heart that Sunday's coming? So Kara, in pain and prostrate, completes because she's not content to leave it at Friday. She goes on and adds, it's Saturday. The disciples are despondent. The women are crying, but it's Saturday. Sunday's coming. It's Saturday. The world seems empty. The Pharisees are celebrating and trembling. It's Sunday. Agony turns into incredulity. The women see an angel in the empty tomb. It's Sunday. The women are running, trembling, not daring believe what they have seen. It's Sunday, and sadness has turned to joy. It's Sunday, Jesus has been raised from the dead just as he foretold. It's Sunday, now there is hope. It's Sunday, there is reason to live. It's Sunday, Christ has triumphed over Satan and death. Soon, it will always be Sunday. Never again will there be Fridays. Never. Eternities are coming.
eternities are coming. So I want to encourage you. You may be feeling the pain of Friday, but it's only Friday. Sunday's coming, and soon eternity's coming, where there'll be no more Fridays. Finally, I want to speak. But one more thing. You see, on that cross, on that hill, there were three crosses. We see that Jesus was crucified. He was in the middle, and there was one criminal on each side. I think there's a reason why there was one on each side. Because it gives us a choice who we're going to identify with. You see, we read Matthew 27 that as he was first put in that cross between those thieves, that the both thieves joined in with all the mocking, with saying, why can't you save yourself and us? Mocking him as the king, the crown of thorns, and the, and the printed uh, sign there saying, this is the king of the Jews. But somehow in those six hours, between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., one of those criminals changed their minds and their hearts. Was it seeing, as we read here, Jesus forgiving even the very people that were crucifying him, saying, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Is that what gave him hope? That he knew he was guilty. He knew there were things in his life that choices he had made that had got him to where he was hanging on that cross. And he acknowledges that he deserves the punishment that he's getting. But does he believe he can be forgiven? Maybe it is in Jesus' love that he shows even his earthly mother. And it's in his, that he sees hope that he can be loved too. But he does something that Peter was too afraid to do. And John was too afraid to do. That as Jesus was being mocked by the other criminal, because that's the other choice you have, you see. You can still choose to be belligerent. You can still choose to deny the fact that there are things and choices that you've made. People you have betrayed. Words you've said. Websites you've seen. And things that you wish you could take back and do over because of the pain, because of the guilt, because you know that 
if there was someone in that scene that, that you can identify with, it's with the criminal. Because each of us have made those choices that we wish, we wish we could go back and redo, and we can't. But the one criminal decides to mock God, decides to go out fighting, to go down swinging, to keep his pride as the only thing he can keep, and to continue to, to pour out the insults, and at least by putting someone else down, make myself feel that by comparison, I am at least somewhat better, a little faster, putting others down. Very human trait. Feeling good by comparison. But the other thief, the other criminal, he says, don't you fear God? We are minutes from death. And we here are here because of our choices. We deserve this, but this man does not. He is innocent. Don't you fear God? He comes to Jesus' defense when his own disciples didn't. And that is the first step. That is the first step for each one of us to t avail ourselves of what was done for us on that cross. If we want to have the hope of Sunday that the resurrection power would apply to us that we can rise to a new life. Don't place your hope on compensating for your bad decisions by making better decisions in the future. Don't place your hope by you fixing up your life. It'll never be enough. Rather, Jesus turned to the man who not only expressed regret took responsibility, took ownership of his own wrongdoing, acknowledged that God was just and he was not, and he had every right to be judged. But he also turned and expressed faith and trust that Jesus was who he said he was, that Jesus would come into his kingdom and he asked and begged Jesus to remember him when he came into that kingdom. He placed his faith in Jesus, the risen king, even though it hadn't happened yet. Even though his own disciples were demoralized in crying, he placed his faith in Christ alone and not in his own righteousness. And Jesus responded, and he gave him that hope. He said, today, it wasn't based on anything he had done. It wasn't because he had gone and made things right and paid back and, and demonstrated an overcoming lifestyle. He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. And this is the hope. You can choose. 
You can choose which side of that cross you are on. The one that's going to continue to, to pretend that you're in control, even though you're hanging on a cross. That's going to pretend that you're wittier and smarter and you're not going to let anyone see the stuff inside that you're embarrassed about. Or you can be like the thief that humbled himself and acknowledge God is right and you're wrong and place your faith in Jesus and find a hope in a Sunday that will never end, in eternity that will never end. Rembrandt, when he painted the crucifixion, first it looks a lot like many other depictions. There was a hill, there was three crosses, there were soldiers, there was people crying and jeering, but there was one person that was out of place, a person in modern clothing. It was Rembrandt himself, had painted himself into that photo, photo, picture, painting. And I'm asking you, where are you going to place yourself on that hill? There's one that leads to hope, another to no hope. The hope is there, despite the Friday, that Sunday's coming. But it requires repentance and faith on our part. May God give us the grace to humble ourselves that our Lord's great sacrifice would not be in vain. He's blessed his word. It was necessary that Christ, the Son of God, die on the cross. Not only to remove the barrier that prevents man from having a relationship with God, it is the primary purpose for his death on the cross to deal with sin, the sin of man, God's purpose was for him to have a relationship with us, but as much as God wants to be part of our lives, and even though he does daily, the Bible tells us, it, it assures us that the rain falls on the roof of the good man and the evil man. God is not partial that way. He still blesses all men in the hope that man may turn from his ways and may see the goodness of God, may, may not look at him as a judge, as someone who is who's distant and doesn't care and is quick and just ready to judge our every bad deed. Instead, God continues to demonstrate his love. And every time we, we preach the Good Friday sermon, we, we are proclaiming, announcing the goodness of God, though it was such a cruel image. Allow me to read a few verses. 
In Hebrews we read, Wherefore in all things it behooved him, that is, Christ, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself had suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor or to help them that are tempted. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There isn't anyone, there isn't anyone that doesn't have a need. There isn't anyone here who, who walks the human life and the human experience who doesn't have a need. And there is this man called Jesus Christ who is now a high priest in heaven who wants to intercede and wants to meet our needs on his terms. And so Christ is saying here, through the Spirit, the writer of Hebrews is saying that knowing this, knowing that there is this man, Jesus Christ, who knows exactly how we feel, we should come boldly to his throne and ask for grace to help in time of need. Now, how does that look like? What does that look like? What do we do when we get grace and help in time of our need? Well, it says here that we hold fast or cling tenaciously to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. So there is this vision at the very end, this hope that we are all supposed to be clinging to, but that hope can be disturbed because of the current circumstances that we're in. But he says that if we know that there's one who walked before us and knows exactly how we feel, we can have his grace. We can have his help so that we can cling to the hope firmly unto the end. And when we do, we can sing, just like we sang. Allow me to read these verses again. Who is faith's foundation strong? Who unseals my lips to song? Who is unsealing your lips during this time of need so that you can sing to him? Who bore here my sinful load? Who brought peace for me with God? Jesus Christ, the crucified. Jesus Christ, the crucified. Who is faith to strength and strife? Who is now life of my life? Who had made me just and free so that I, God's child, might be? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the crucified. This concludes our service.